You are delaying the departure of this train. <laughs> this podcast, you mean? <laughs> don't you ever? Don't you hate it when, when uh, all of a sudden you're like trying to get somewhere in the airport and they're like, "You are delaying the departure of this train." Everybody on it is gonna hate you. And they really make sure to to enunciate you <laughs> are delaying the departure of this train. I think this is only a DIA. Yep. If any of you have ever traveled through Denver International Airport, you know what we're talking about. And you would be in the same location as us for the podcast. We are not at DIA. Not at DIA, but we'd like to welcome you to the <laughs> Word on the Hill. This is Mayor John Hancock. Welcome to Denver. And my name is Galvin Praetar Penny. <laughs> no, it's not. My name actually is Dr. Scott Powell. And my name is Father Peter Mussett. Father Peter has a new book on clouds. Dude, I would... <laughs> with the author. <laughs> that sounded so... <laughs> that didn't sound... It did not sound... As, as, as cool and as uh, with with as much gravitas as the book actually has. So basically, I'm, I'm very excited about um, this clouds. summertime and about taxonomy of clouds. It does sound more... Uh, Less sophomoric if you use the word taxonomy. <laughs> yeah, as soon as you say taxonomy, you're like, "Wow, that sounds quite oh, interesting." It means it means that I can <clears throat> name and identify the ten, ten the ten, the ten main cloud types that are existent, and you can find images of bunnies in them. <laughs> Dude, one of them he says, "This is a really, this is a really interesting cloud," unless you see. Um, uh, Oh, who's the Knight Rider guy? Kit? No, Kit is the car. David Hasselhoff. David Hasselhoff. He's like, this is a very interesting club, <laughs> unless you see David Hasselhoff in what it. What a and strange statement. I know, it was really weird. Oh, things are weird here, you guys. It's weird for the Ascension Sunday. Well, the Sunday of the Ascension. Okay, qualification. Qualification. In much of the country, slash the world, okay. it is the Sunday of the Ascension. In other dioceses and ecclesial jurisdictions, it is the seventh Sunday of Easter, depending on when the bishop chooses to observe the ascension. Right, and most of the USCCB uh, pushes it to Sunday. To Sunday. Now, I don't. I'm sure there's exceptions to that. So, like Lincoln, I'm sure they don't. In Lincoln. Oh, Lincoln! So most of you will be hearing the readings for the ascension. They are different for the seventh Sunday, but it's one of those ones where we just had to say. Which one are we going to choose? Well, well, we're in the Archdiocese of Denver, so we're following our mandate. Yep, and so uh, if we're going to release this, release this on Thursday, so it actually may be the podcast for you tomorrow. Oh my goodness gracious, you're right. Let's get Let's this, jump uh, it on in. Yeah, yeah. Our uh, first reading is from Acts 1, 1 through 11. This is a lot of ones. 1, 1, 1, 1. 1, 1, 1, 1. Yes, so the very beginning of Acts, in case you missed. <laughs> <laughs> um, our second, well, our responsorial psalm is coming from... Coming from Psalm 47, verses 2 through 3, 6 through 7, 8 through 9, and the responsicle is from verse 6. Then our uh, other reading. Second. The second one is from Ephesians. Technically, it's the third. You're correct. Not to split hairs here. Correct. I mean, if you try to split my hairs, you'd have a lot of work on your hand. You must have a lot of split hairs in there. No, I split don't. Split ends, is that what it's called? You split ends, yep. No. Uh, Ephesians 1, <laughs> 17 to 23. And our gospel, a very short gospel, coming from Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. That's Dude, that's like a shorty, which is really nice. Go given shorty. Go it's shorty. Birthday. It's to birthday. Is that a bad song? I don't know. To the pure, all things are pure. I hope it's not. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> you know, do we you ever hope, have that? You start pure. singing like a rap song or something, and you're like, oh, maybe there's just a joke I don't get. <laughs> <laughs> dude, that, dude, you just talked about 
first world aging problems right there, dude. Oh, dude, man. <laughs> I mean, like, dude, that's Shoot. the that's the life of a parent. You're like, is there something there that I don't understand? <laughs> okay, here's the thing. Um, okay, Theophilus. Can we talk about the gospel first? Nope. Okay. Yes, you can. No, and it's I knew not you were that... going to do that to me because you really need to actually. Because what happens is that Acts is the follow up to the Gospels, and so you actually need the preface of the Gospels to understand Acts. Yes, that's absolutely true. And if we did it the the way that it actually appears in the liturgy, I, I feel like there's no good climax. <laughs> you know what I mean? In, in yeah. the podcast sense yeah. of like, and then we get Matthew twenty. If we start with it, then it flow. Every, I mean, I mean everything. Uh, yeah, everything flows. That's out my of that's it. my auto top off unit, making sure w- that my uh, aquarium is not evaporated. I thought it was like the emergency siren, the emergency broadcast network. <laughs> but that's uh, dial up internet. <laughs> All right, so you cool. Want to do Matthew twenty eight? Yeah, dude. This is it's so funny. Talk about a um a a what do you call those things? A chiasm, sort of chiastic, right? You have the very the first reading is the very beginning of Acts, and the last reading is the very end of the Gospel of Matthew. Right? Yes. Interesting. I mean, I was so going to... the very I, beginning and the very end. Well, this is fairly funny because I was thinking that you were going to say the end of Luke, but it's totally not the end of Luke. No, it's not. But it really would have been made would have been made sense. It does appear if it was Luke instead of Matthew. Yeah, yeah. but, but, but well, Matthew does the better thing because it actually really helps us to actually understand i mean sorry matthew does a better job to help us understand and lead us into the acts matthew also puts us through our paces because you have to work out some seeming contradictions and conflicts really i think so i I don't think there's any contradiction or conflict let me be clear but there are seeming ones let's just read the gospel because it's so short the 11 disciples went to galilee to the mountain to which jesus had ordered them okay when they saw him they worshiped but they doubted yeah then Jesus approached and said to them, All power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. Okay. Uh, do you see what the conflict is between this and the account of Acts? Off the top of your head. No. So where, where does this happen in Matthew? This happens on the mountain that they ordered, that Jesus ordered them to go to. Which is where? I it tells know. you. It says. No, it doesn't. Yeah, it does. Where it, where it says? Right in the first line. It says, um, hold on, I, I, I flipped pages. To Galilee. Yeah, so they're up in Galilee. I mean, but what mountain in Galilee? Well, it doesn't, we don't know that. That's fair enough. We don't know what mountain, but we do know they're in Galilee. In Acts of the Apostles, where are they? When Jesus appears to them. So. In, Do you remember? It doesn't say, but we, we know. Yeah, they're in Jerusalem, Jerusalem or around Jerusalem, right? Yeah, I mean, because so, we have the we have the laying out of you at Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Yeah, and and he also Jesus actually commands them to not leave the temple area. Remember until they receive the Holy Spirit. We'll we'll get there in a second. So, okay, here's what's difficult. I think we forget sometimes. Well, I do. I maybe you guys don't struggle with this, <laughs> but this is so we're, we're post resurrection. Jesus is now appearing to his disciples. Pentecost has not happened. And it's easy it's easy for someone like me who you know we have some familiarity with some of these readings and stuff to forget that we actually have 50 days to deal with in between the resurrection and the first appearance of Jesus to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, the first time he begins to show himself post resurrection. Show yourself. And the 
Pentecost event where the Holy Spirit is poured out. That's a long time. It's like a month and a half, right? Right. What's going on in that month and a half? And and th- there's something about that that I want to kind of address today when we get to the Acts of the Apostles, because I don't think we give enough attention to the fact that you essentially have 50 days. I, I like calling it a month and a half because there's something that puts that in better perspective to me of like, okay, this is how long we're talking about. There's a month and a half of just total confusion and not knowing what to do. They're like, okay, so Jesus is risen from the dead. The, the We saw him die, but he's not dead, but he kind of went over there and he's kind of appearing periodically to us. Including the 500 that, at one time. Yep. He told us to go to Galilee to this mountain. And another place he tells us to stay in Jerusalem. Again, I don't think there's a conflict here because I think Jesus did both of those things. Let us I think go at one point, into Galilee. <laughs> but it's a weird time because they still haven't received the Holy Spirit in Pentecost. So they're still confused. But it's a really long time to be confused. So as I'm just thinking about this Easter season that we've been in. We're not at Pentecost yet. And, you know, if you're following along liturgically, which we all should be as Catholics, we're still in this period of celebration where we're, we're so excited and we're, you know, the vestments are all white and there's still flowers and lilacs all over the churches. And we should be in this period of celebration. Right. But then putting yourself back in the shoes of the first apostles, it's not just this long period of celebration. It's this period of total and utter confusion. Yeah, he rose from the dead, but what are we supposed to do? Oh, go and make disciples. About what? Baptize them? But we haven't been baptized in this way yet, and something about the Holy Spirit is coming, and we're supposed to go to Galilee, but we're supposed to stay in Jerusalem in the temple. And wait, wait, what's going on? And for most of the time, they're just kind of hiding out because they don't know what to do with themselves. So you have a month and a half of the church just literally not knowing what to do. Isn't that, I don't know. I, does that, it, maybe that's not fascinating. But I find it fascinating. I mean, like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm riding your wave. Like, because they're I, like, well, I'm, we don't have Jesus to just go to and be like, hey, Master Rabboni, what do we do? Where are we supposed to go? Like he did for the last three years, where we could just go where he went. Well, now he's mysterious and he's kind of disappeared out of our sight. Well, here's, I mean, like, hanging out with you for uh, as I have at this with the podcast for this long. It's mysterious. Like, it's mysterious how I've stayed here. So. Ah. Um, but like, this is the thing is that you, when you're really trying to make a point, <laughs> I get very convoluted. No, you, you get questionary. Ah, yes. So basically you want, you want hearts to be revealed and you want like, you want the question to be not just, um, something that you can spout off some sort of technique about, no. but that you need it to be existential and yes. the answers to kind of be elicited forth so that yes. so that when it is answered, it's actually a part of you. Yes. So like, as you're talking about this mysterious period, I can just, like, like it draws my mind into this thing of just like begging the question, like, what are we supposed to do now? Yes. Like what 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 is the world? Like right. how are we like 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 who are we as a people that we believe together now because Jesus has fulfilled his promises right. and and we're we're starting to kind of like gather the question that was was begged by this thousands of years of tradition that have have been fulfilled. Like what what do we do and Jesus is kind of like Popping up, he's like, "Hey, give me some fish," you know, and you're like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. okay." Like, I right. don't, I don't know what's going on. And even that one, I mean, you just threw out another kind of seemingly random account during this 
50-day period of like, oh, and then that one time he showed up and asked for fish. And then this other time he told us to go to this mountain in Galilee. And then there was another time when, when he made breakfast on the beach. Yeah, and we're like, wait, what is he? What are we? Do? We don't even know what we're doing. Um, gonna, here, here's the thing. I'm going to go fishing. I don't actually, uh, th- there's not that much I can say about the gospel, I don't think, until we kind of unpack the rest. Because what Jesus is doing, you know, this is the very ending of the gospel of Matthew, which is, I think, one of the most important passages in the book. It is, it's what's called the Great Commission, right? When Jesus commissions his disciples to go out and do this work. Not the Great Omission, but the um, Great Commission. Many people do act as though it's the Omission. Right. Uh, called that as a joke because we don't tend to go out and make disciples of all nations, right? We <laughs> tend to keep our faith to ourselves. But, but so when he tells them to do this, what do they do? They... Presumably. Um, they they go and hang out in the upper room for nine days. <laughs> right. No more than, I think, we don't know when this event in Matthew 28 happens well, this within is, the course of that. No, I have to argue something Okay, with you. tell me, talk to me. Um, we do know, and we know it by tradition, like the reality of our novena, the fact that we wait nine days, that is such a- fun, Is it within that though? Yeah, that we would, we would, Jesus would ascend and I'm going to send you the- Oh, because the ascension is nine days. Yeah, yes, so, you're right. So what happens is Thank the, you the, the, the novena reality of going into the upper room and waiting for the Holy Spirit to come- Right. I, th- those nine days, three, three, three. I mean, like, I, yeah, like, is a trinitarian expression, and Absolutely. I, I don't think it's mistaken, and I think we can experience it from yes. tradition in a way that is the lived experience of the church, and not just some sort of explicit nine days in scripture. No, you're absolutely right. I, I wasn't even thinking on those terms. I but... like it when you say that. You, you, you... <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me ask you this. Talk to me, easy. and then, then I'd love to move on to act if, if you're cool. I could do that. It says that what they're going to do, what does he say? All power in heaven and earth has been given to me, says Jesus. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. When does that happen? Because there's sort of a, there's always sort of a micro and a macro. So in the macro sense, we're still doing that, or we're we're supposed to still be doing that, right? We're, the church is still, 2,000 years later, supposed to be going out to the ends of the earth, making disciples, baptizing, teaching them what Jesus did and taught, right? Well, that's But in a very practical sense, when is the first time that takes place? Think about those, threefold, right? Oh, it's, it's a, the Make it's disciples of all nations, baptize them, and teach them. It happens on the day. Because Luke makes it explicitly clear, does he not? People from all nations are present in Jerusalem that day with all different languages and tongues. Well, what do they do? They literally go out of the door <laughs> and they begin to make disciples of all of the nations who are in a certain sense represented there in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. What do they do? They baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then what? Peter gets up and teaches them to do all that Jesus commanded them. So there is a very immediate fulfillment of this great commission. Now, again, there is also the, the uh, longer fulfillment in which we're still part of. Yeah. But I never thought about that until I was looking over this this morning, hmm. that there's actually an explicit moment that that happens, or at least begins to happen. Yeah. And it's this once the waiting period is over. So you've, you've got the sense that somewhere within this first nine days, they've got this commission. They know what they're supposed to do, but they sit on it. For a, for 40 more days, essentially, not quite knowing what to do with this. What, what do you mean, go and make disciples of all the nations? How do we even do that? We don't even know. You know, we're, we're terrified ourselves. What does that look like? And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit descends. There's tongues of fire. And they're like, oh. And I just imagine this moment of the light bulb, <laughs> the light bulb, the flame going off right above their heads. <laughs> and they're like, 
all the nations, they're, they're out there and they begin speaking. And I wonder if there's this moment of recognition of, oh, that's what he meant. Oh, oh. and remember, because Peter talks later on, even in his epistles about when he was able to kind of go back and remember all of the things that Jesus said with the light of the Holy Spirit, with the enlightenment of faith. I'm like, oh, now we, Jesus has been kind of front loading all of this stuff to us, but we didn't know what to do with it. But now we're unpacking three years worth of teachings and now we get it. Now we act on it. Dude, I'm wondering if St. Ignatius of Loyola had a certain insight into this with his spiritual exercises. Perhaps. To, to actually just go through and so that there's this election of saying like, yes, I will. I will go uh, and yeah. make disciples of all nations, but I, but recognizing the amount of time that it takes to consider this and to go into the upper room, because think about, I mean, like, dude, I'll tell you, you sent, you send me up to like a, a room with a bunch of people for like that long. Are you kidding me? That's, that's going to be like, like, what do you do? I'm so excited that you just said that. Oh. Because I have another connection that I'm, I'm, I'm kind of feeling out here. I want to see if it works. Okay. Okay, so now we go to Acts, right? Okay. With, with that said, with that kind of setup, because again, hindsight's twenty twenty. We know where this is going. We know what's going to happen. Right. So now we get Luke's account of how this happened. A little more fleshed out version of what Matthew said. Matthew just gave you this tiny little snippet, this moment. Luke gives you a little bit more, right? So... He begins by saying in the first book of Theophilus, Theophilus is the person to whom he addresses both the Gospel of Luke and Acts. We could have a long conversation about who Theophilus is. There's different theories. We're God not 100% lover. sure. Yeah, the name means God lover. Some think it's a Roman uh, a Roman um, official. Some people think it's a Jewish high priest. That's where I lean. But um, anyway, in the first book, so the Gospel of Luke, I dealt with all... And no, okay, here's my first point of contention with the translation that we get, right? Uh-huh. We're good? Yeah. My first point of contention, uh, there's a bad translation that we get. And this is so crucially important. And we've been in Acts of the Apostles for a long, for what, almost a month now. So we've been talking about this concept. And here in the passage where we get the concept that you and I have been talking about for a month, you don't get the key word. And what you're going to hear in the liturgy, unfortunately, depending on where you are in the world, is in the first book, I dealt with all that Jesus did and taught, which is not what it says. There's a nuance. Do you remember what the nuance is? I mean, uh, there is it the words and deeds? No, no, no. He says in the Greek, I dealt with what Jesus began to do and teach. Right. Until the day was taken up. Because which there's is, this implication is, that he's not done doing which it. Which is the which is actually like what we um preface our whole discussion on Acts every single time. Exactly right. Is that is that begun to do and teach, which is really what it's about, which is saying that Jesus is going to actually do and teach things again within his church. Through the church. Yeah. Through the church. Yeah. In his people. Like, that's actually why, why I, I, wanted, I was talking about before. Like, catechesis means to re-echo. Yeah, absolutely. So, so it's, it's just coming out of the upper room again that's, that's and, and doing exactly the same stuff. It really bugs me because I don't, I, I, I'm usually sympathetic to translations because, you know, that's a hard job to translate something. But in this case, I don't know why the translators of the New American Bible literally left that word out. That doesn't make sense to me. But again, the principle is what Jesus began to do in the gospel, he continues to do in the church and acts. So, is it, um, is it, is it a future perfect? Like, I'd have to, I don't remember off the top of my head. Having been, I don't think done, so. No, I think no, it's I a future so. imperfect. I think it's imperfect. I don't know if it's future tense, but it's definitely imperfect. I oh, think yeah. that's safe to say. Yeah, I mean, in the I grammatical think it would be past sense, tense. 
in the grammatical sense, not yeah. in the literal sense. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know my gamma. I don't know my gamma rays. I ain't, I ain't well got enough. my gamma rays. Um, all right. So after until the day he was taken up. After giving instructions to the Holy Spirit, to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them by many proofs after he had suffered, so after the crucifixion, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking of the kingdom of God. And this is where things, what we talked about a little bit ago, get a little bit more confusing. Okay. So he appears to them throughout those other 40 days after the, the nine days after the crucifixion, right? So he appears to he Acts suggests okay. that he is appearing to them across the fifty days, right? Which is confusing because then I can't place exactly when the ascension is. You know what I'm saying? It's weird. Oh, okay, okay. I, I get your math. I, I didn't understand your math. Now I understand. And we can just leave that there to to chew on because that's not really the the central point. Either of this. that or these weird generic gummy worms that we're trying to eat. Uh, they're they're really noise. weird. Uh, it's hard. We're ducking like underneath <laughs> the, the mics. Okay, so okay, so. We have the nine days where we get the novena, right? Nine times. Nine times. And then you have 40 more days. So presumably after the Gospels kind of leave off, Acts picks up 40 more days that lead us into Pentecost. And during those 40 days, 50 days, he speaks to them about what? What's his topic of conversation? Do you remember? All that he has done and taught. No, you're thinking Road to Emmaus. Um, it's one very specific concept. It's the concept that Jesus talks about more than anything else in the Gospels. It's his favorite topic of conversation. I don't know. The kingdom of God or the kingdom ba- of heaven. Basilea to Theu. Yeah, he speaks about the kingdom, which for us Catholics, we recognize, okay, wait, this kingdom, it's not some metaphor or like a feeling in our hearts. It's literally a tangible, <laughs> you know what I mean, though? Like, oh, the kingdom of God is a place in my heart where I love you. <laughs> but it is, it is a literal, structural, hierarchical reality. Of which he has already appointed Peter as the prime minister. Right, because we, we actually have the, the you know, you have the queen mother, you yeah. have the prime minister. The like It's very are, tangible. These are tangible. You can find them in David the king in a very, Absolutely. very clear way. So even after the, the resurrection, he's still talking about that. Right. They're still talking about the kingdom. It's a very important thing because Jesus didn't just leave us with his uh, a nice feeling in our hearts about him. And I'm not saying that to mock anybody, but, you know, we think about Christianity that way sometimes. It's just this kind of metaphorical idea. No, he left us with a church that had structure and reality and a pope and bishops and a queen mother and, and liturgy and all these things, right? That's the kingdom. So that's what he's talking about during that time. Uh, he met with them. He enjoined them not to pro- depart from Jerusalem. So it's a different thing than he told them in Matthew, but I think they, they both happened. And he said, wait for the promise of the Father about which you heard me speak. John baptized you with water, but in a few days, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He's speaking about Pentecost, right? And when they had all gathered together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore to us the kingdom? So so in this long period of time, he's talking about the kingdom. And their response is, okay, okay, you've been talking about the kingdom. Now, remember, he's already risen from the dead. He's already alive. The cross is no more. Death has been defeated. And they're like, okay, so you've done all this stuff. Now can we have the kingdom? Yeah, exactly. Because when they hear the kingdom, yes, they're hearing a hierarchical structural reality. But they're also hearing about one that is militaristic and that will provide them riches and that will give them power in the earthly sense and that looks like a political kingdom, right? And Jesus is speaking about something slightly different. So they're, you know, without the light of the Holy Spirit. Which we can uh, determine even when, like... um, uh, the the sons of thunder. Their mom was like, yeah, "Hey, exactly. we want. I want you to have my son sit to your left and your right." And he's like, "This is not for me to give." Exactly. 
can you they drink want the cup? stuff? Yeah, and so, so I mean, like they're really still thinking in tangible reality. Exactly right. Even which seems strange because again, he's risen from the dead. And you want to be like, well, don't you get it now? And they're like, no, we don't get it. Give us the kingdom. <laughs> Give us the stuff. We want the thrones. Because we've been sitting in this cramped, humid upper room. We're like, we're ready for our thrones now, Jesus. Dude, in Jerusalem, which P.S., dude, rough. times get smelly. And it's funny. They ask him, are you now going to restore the kingdom? Right. And what is his answer? Do you remember without looking? No. His answer is, ain't none of your business. <laughs> Isn't that funny? He, do- he doesn't say no. He basically says, it's not for you to worry about. Just do your job. The implied answer is, yes, I'm doing it. But he says to them, don't worry about your stuff. Don't worry about what you're going to get. Don't worry about those things. That's my prerogative. Your job is to do what I've asked you to, right? Yeah, and that's why he had Bobby Brown write that song. That's exactly right. But, like, as as he's going, I mean, it's hard because he's actually needing a space of time to allow them to diffuse from what their intention of the kingdom's look is going to be. How long does he, you just, you, I'm so excited because I have this idea about this that I've, somebody has probably unpacked this, but Luke makes this time period explicit. So say what you just said again, because you said it really well. So he's needing them to have an amount of time to where their expectations of, of what they perceive the kingdom to be Needs it needs to dissipate. It needs to diffuse so that the kingdom's expression will be what Jesus' intention is going to be. Does that sound familiar? Have you have you heard of something like that happening in salvation history before? Someone was moving towards something, Moses had the wrong expectation about it, and needed a waiting period before they were ready. It's totally Moses, right? Yes, but what? Uh, give me more. They, uh, oh gosh. I, you're, you're on it. Well, let me give you yeah, the hint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What does Luke tell you? Luke wants you to get here because he says, how many days do they have to suffer with this and wrestle with this? 40. 40 days. What do you think Luke is alluding to? Oh, the Exodus. This is, I think, in a certain sense, this is the apostles wandering in the wilderness. Oh. This is their wilderness experience. You're headed toward the promised land, but you don't get it yet. And you need to wrestle with that desert experience. Mm. Jesus is going to vanish out of their sight for a time. They will be in the desert mm. in a very real way. They're in that upper room. They're going to struggle. They're going to wrestle. It is their 40 years encompassed in 40 days. And then what's going to happen? Pentecost will happen and they will cross that. They'll cross their Jordan River into the promised land. What's the promised land? The giving of the Holy Spirit, which is now not a geographical spot on a map, but something that's been implanted into their hearts. Well, what do I, you think? I think it's. I think it, I really am hanging out with it because I'm trying to process because because you well, you keep articulating this period of time that they're going <laughs> to wrestle with it and yeah. struggle and they they need this period. Yeah, and and what's Moses's gift in the middle of this? Moses's gift is that he Starbucks gets to win. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> he gets to witness God face to face oh, and yeah. receive the new commandments. <laughs> yeah, there's that. So, so like, so what happens is like, here are the people of God and yeah. it's no longer restricted, which is really Jesus' pattern. He, he, we always start with the scandal of particularity yes. and then it increases outward. It's, it's, and then, and that's why Acts is even saying it's, it's like there was going to be the 500 who even got to see him. So what's happening yeah, right. is that, is that now the church, the Basileia to the, the kingdom of God yes. 
is actually invited into the same space because we're no longer dealing with just a particular land, but we're dealing with the nations. Right. And so, so what happens is it's not just that we're going to go to the promised land. The promised land is the whole earth. It's everything. It's the whole world. Right. And so, so just as that we had Moses who was able to witness um, the father face to face. Yeah. We now have the church who's able to witness Christ face to face because specifically we're going to establish the kingdom over the whole earth, which yes. was prefaced by this 40 days exodus from slavery. I mean, like this is everything. That's really powerful. Which then is what Luke tells you in the next line. He's like, here's what Jesus said. Here's the, here's the agenda. The table of contents that we've talked about the last few weeks. You're right. going to go and be my witnesses in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, then the ends of the earth. It's going to be expansive, which again, when he says that, they clearly don't get because they don't begin moving out of Jerusalem until chapter seven or eight of Acts of the Apostles because they don't realize they're supposed to. Right. So there's this slow unpacking. And then I, even that, I wonder like, they're like, oh, right. He did say we were going to go to Judea and Samaria. <laughs> what do you know? We're in Samaria. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> oh, but because that's the nature and you get, again, this idea that they're like, oh, that's what the kingdom is. That's what the promise was. That's what he meant when he said these things. Oh, it wasn't enough that we made disciples of all of these representatives of the nations, baptizing them and teaching them on the day of Pentecost. That wasn't enough because it's, you know, it's been said, this is one of those cliches. The gospel that we follow is not a, it's not a come ye gospel. It's a go ye gospel. Right. And really the moment of Pentecost is kind of the come ye moment. Right. Like here they are, they're sitting in your lap and let's baptize them. And this is great. But then it takes a few chapters before the church realizes, oh, we got to go and find the rest of them. Right. We have to, that's the imperative of the great commission. Go therefore. Which means, as Christians, I mean, the fundamental thing about being a Christian is we have to get out of our seats and go. Right. Because they will not come to us. And if they do, praise be to God, but that's not our job. It's to go. But which, this is what they're unpacking through the course of this. Which is interesting because we're talking about the ascension, which is, which right. is precisely Jesus <laughs> saying, I'm going to go. Yes. He's going to actually go to the Father for the release of the Holy Spirit. Yes. That, like there's actually a demonstration in the midst of this yes. of saying like what yes. do we do when we mean we're, we're, like going is is the inherent movement of the Christian life because Absolutely. we know that we're going to seek the Father. We're going to be in intimacy with I mean like we we know that I mean in the ascension is the introduction of the humanity of Christ. Sorry, the introduction of humanity because of the Jesus is binding himself to humanity, it, it's humanity introduced into the divine Godhead. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so it's like, so what we know is that is that why are we doing that? Is because we're imitating that same process. Yes, ex- as, absolutely. As we take humanity and we are we are baptizing and discipling, yeah. we're binding their humanity to Jesus's divinity. Right. And so that so that that ascension is the entire hum, human reality being brought into the divine God. Absolutely. That's really intense and theological. Which is, I, I think, actually a great segue into the psalm, Psalm 47, because this is the moment that God, uh, for once and for all, mounts his throne with shouts of joy, a blare of trumpets for the Lord. That's A blare of trumpets for the Lord. And it's a great example of how there is, in all things, there is a heavenly perspective and there's an earthly perspective. Mm. Because in heaven, right. what you would be seeing is, 
God as the king mounting his throne, trumpets blaring, hands clapping, shouts of joy raising up. But what you see in the earthly reality is a bunch of boneheads staring up at the sky like, what just happened? Well, that, was, <laughs> right? that was fast. At what rate did he ascend? <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> but you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Those two things are happening simultaneously, which right. is the, the same thing, you know, in the mass. We see a, you know, a very hairy man with a man bun, you know, holding up this bread that what looks like bread above the altar. It's that's you, by the way. Oh, okay, yeah, and yeah. The beard, the beard. <laughs> I was like, I was like, the Jesus, man bun. Jesus didn't have a man. Bun. But we see you in right. all your humanity, yeah. with all the baggage that's going on in the back of our heads and all the distractions of the church. We see this one reality, but in heaven, the reality is Jesus is entering the holy of holies mm. in the heavenly temple, and he's offering himself as sacrifice. Mm. That's the heavenly perspective on the very earthly experience that we see with our eyes. There's always two perspectives, and I just get a kick out of this psalm explaining on a spiritual level a bunch of guys just staring blankly into the sky. Like, what? But that is the moment of God mounting his throne to shouts of joy and blaring of trumpets. Well, Mm. sometimes for us it takes us a while to catch up, which again is sort of the point of those 40 days before Pentecost. 50 days, really, but the 40 that Luke draws us into. Sometimes it takes a while to stare at the sky and to try to unpack and wrestle with what on earth we just saw. Mm. But then our Pentecost comes and we're ready. Mm. We're like, okay, I can move I can move with that. Right. It, one interesting note on Psalm 47 that I didn't know, in later ancient Judaism, which is a paradoxical term, <laughs> in later ancient Judaism, <laughs> Psalm 47 was often used as a psalm read on the New Year, on Yom Kippur. It's a New Year psalm. Which is very interesting to me because, of course... Isn't that the Day of the Atonement? mm -hmm. Oh, sorry. What did I say? New Year? Yom Kippur, yeah, which is the Day of the Atonement. Yeah, Yeah, but it's New Year. But, I mean, this it's so incongruitous. It it is, seemingly, right? But the reason it was congruent for me is that we're we're thinking about Pentecost. We're thinking about something new with Jesus' physical earthly departure in that way. Right. There is a new unleashing of the Holy Spirit. There is a new year sort of beginning, right? New There's something year. interesting. Oh, something interesting. I don't know. I saw something well, you fascinating know, there. Well, this is this is a really cool thing about uh, um, Father Matt Hartley has has done a, a, a huge amount of work with how the structure of the Mass relates to um, the three stages of the spiritual life and the oh. four marks of the Church. And like, dude, this guy is rocking it. Nice. Um, but one of the things that he always talks about is the transition from uh, from uh, uh, purg- purgation to illumination, because there's mm. the three stages of the spiritual life is yep. purgative, illuminative, unitive. unitive yep. So the purgative, you know, you have the um, you have the the very first part where you say, "I confess to Almighty God." You do the confession of sin, and then you go right into the Gloria. Gloria. And so the 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 bind point between. Um, purgation and illumination is the singing of praise. Oh. So on Yom Kippur, shouts of trumpets and this blare, this enthronement psalm yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. of of Christ actually ascending into the heavens. And well, I mean, I mean, we now we know Christ ascending into the heavens is yeah. this is this moment to say, which is exactly what's happening with the disciples, is that their moment, the, their purgation is done. Jesus has mm. destroyed sin and death in baptism, but yet they have not yet been illuminated entirely. Ah, they're stuck in the in-between. They're stuck in the in-between because, the, and they're saying like, yes. restore the kingdom to us. And so they're yes. in this place of where they're transitioning from the, the from being set free from sin, but they yes. don't know what they're set free for yet. Which is, I, what a great articulation of the Exodus event. 
Right. They were set free from slavery in Egypt, but they couldn't wrap their heads around the promised land yet. They're like, it's really hard being out here. <laughs> yeah, like the, the desert is hard. Yeah. And they're like, oh, I'm going fishing. I think that is the uh, that is the hermeneutical key for this set, series of readings. I think it's the ex- the 40 years. I I think that you, you're bang on. Well, it should have been it's, 40 it's days and then turned into 40 years. You yeah, know yeah it was rough. But then, then you have Ephesians, which I think is the articulation of what happens in the transition because we're, we're approaching we're getting close is, is pentecost next week pentecost getting real close is uh next week yeah yeah well no yeah yeah it is, is. Right? yeah yeah because it's nine days um yeah so it's, we're it's so nine we're days close. from tomorrow okay we're recording so, on wednesday yeah 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 so ephesians i think in in some way is talking about the transition from that moment those 40 days of wrestling of struggling of trying to figure it out to the aha moment of Pentecost, aha. where the light aha, where the light bulb goes off, right. where the where the flame goes off, right? Right. And they're like, oh, I mean, listen to what it says. So Ephesians, where Paul is, oh, I mean, there's a lot we could say about the book of Ephesians. Ephesians is a book written, you know, it's believed. By the way, um, sorry, but, I'm getting better, convoluted. Better believe it. But better it's believed. Believe. Better believe it. <laughs> I'm just, nice. I don't know. That was like not it. that great. No, it, it was good. Um, it, it's been said that Ephesians, that was me, Ephesians is one of the church's first encyclical letters because we have version. So in so many of Paul's letters, Paul spends most of the letter trying to put out fires or fight a fight or argue with somebody or defend himself from something. You know what I mean? It's always, yeah. he's always fighting. In Ephesians, he's not. And it's one of the very few of the Pauline epistles where he's able to kind of speak on his own terms. And in some of the ancient manuscripts, where at the very beginning where it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the church in Ephesus, in some of the ancient manuscripts, the words to the church in Ephesus are actually removed or sometimes put in red ink in some ancient manuscripts because it was believed at some point the church actually took that out because they said, you know what? This is bigger than just the church in Ephesus. Everyone needs to hear this because this is a message for all of the all of the nations. Everyone needs to hear these words. Oh, I see what so you just seen, did. So it was seen. What a message to all the nations. Uh, in a certain sense, yeah. I, and and you see where I'm going with that. But listen to what he says. This is still within Paul's opening prayer in the beginning of the letter. He says, "Brothers and sisters, may the God of our." And, and there is things that he says specifically to the church of Ephesus. That's true. Right. Which is a church that struggles with a lot of things, primarily what we might call like New Age cult, occultish kind of things. Artemis. It's a weird place. Uh, but brothers and sisters, may the lo- may the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, who ascended, right, give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation, resulting in knowledge of Him. That line, a spirit, give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation, resulting in knowledge of Him. This is an explanation of what happens to the apostles at Pentecost. They're sitting in darkness. They're wrestling with their confusion. They have some pieces, but they can't put the puzzle together. And then, what does God do? Gives them His Spirit. Of what? Of wisdom and revelation. What does it result in? Knowledge of him. Mm. What does the knowledge do? Empowers them to go out to the ends of the earth. Paul is basically praying that all believers have that Pentecost experience. May God's spirit and his revelation enlighten you with wisdom and give you a knowledge that empowers you to do what? To do the Great Commission. To go, therefore, to all nations and disciple them, baptize them. May the eyes of your hearts be enlightened, he said. May you know what is the hope that belongs to his call. What are the riches of his glory, the inheritance among the holy ones? When I read that, I keep thinking about the bonehead apostles who just want the riches of the earthly sense and the militaristic power and the earthly sense and the golden thrones, right? 
He's like, uh-uh, that's not what this kind of wisdom is all about. Your eyes need to be enlightened to the riches of his glory and the inheritance of heaven and, and the spiritual calling that you have, not the things that the apostles wrestled with, right? Which, ironically enough, in our, in our silly day and age, we're returning to with this whole concept of the health and wealth gospel and that God wants you to be rich and powerful. and You know what I mean? And there's branches of Christianity that are getting confused. And maybe God has chosen to make you rich and powerful. By guarantee, he's going to make you do something about that. And mm-hmm. the only thing he promises for sure is the cross. Right. But Paul is saying if you see that and if you understand what that actually is and what it's supposed to look like, then you're going to see your inheritance. What's your inheritance? The Great Commission to go. And really one of the underlying themes of the mm. whole book of Ephesians is that nobody realized this throughout the course of salvation history. But the scriptures and the revelation of God and the covenant family was for all of the earth. And it's this kind of big reveal within the book of Ephesians that nobody got this before. But what I'm telling you is that from the beginning of the moment of salvation history, all of this was for the sake of all nations. Because even in the time of Jesus, there's confusion over whether the covenant of God is for the Israelite people or for anybody else. And the common assumption was, no, this is for us. Those guys are on their own. And Ephesians makes it clear, no, 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 that's never been God's intention. Which is what lands us to the moral of all of this. Okay. Which is, um, do we think salvation is just meant for me? Mm. Which, which is, which is at the really the core. Of, me and Jesus, baby. Is is yeah, it's just me and Jesus. Just give me Jesus. Yeah. And like, or, or do I believe that this having to go out, this commission, this great commission, mm-hmm. the ascension of Jesus back into the Father's heart is actually a propedeutic for me. It's actually. <laughs> did you just break out propedeutic? Yeah, I did, baby. <laughs> You're so proud of yourself. I'm so proud I'm of myself. Let you get dude. away with yeah, that. Dude, I, I, I got 50 cents that I had to pay for that word, man. <laughs> Will you define propedeutic for those of us who? Oh, yeah. It's a teaching moment. Uh. Um, it's a teaching moment to say like, no, this is like Jesus said explicitly, go therefore and go therefore make disciples do this. And like, and that's actually really the fundamental decision that we have to, we have to ask, are we really willing to do this? Or are we just thinking, Hey man, I got my butt covered and this is great. And like, I know that this is going to be for me for salvation. It's it's like I in in marriage preparation. You know, we what is it? It's catechism fifteen thirty four, fifteen thirty four. There's the two vocations which are ah, oriented yeah. towards the salvation, salvation of, of others, others, which is priesthood and marriage. Yeah. And so it's like the three goods of marriage are the good of spouse, mm. the good of having children, and the good of educating children. Yep, absolutely. And which is which is like the family life at its very core is an evangelical expression. Right. That's oriented towards the salvation of others. Yeah. Just as priesthood, it's all these like voc- these vocational realities are oriented towards uh, the outward reality. That's why yeah. the patron saint of missions is Saint Therese of Lisieux, who, who didn't go anywhere. Who didn't go anywhere because <laughs> she was she was meant, but she was for others and found yeah. the secret of what that meant. Yes. In in these little moments, even though it, it seemed so strange. And it's such a, so you can live this outward reality in such beautiful, profound ways. And, Absolutely. But that is our fundamental decision that we have to make. And, and this, all of these questions of the ascension beg that question in, in marvel of what God has done in introducing our humanity into the divine Godhead. 
in marvel of that, will we respond and just say thanks or <laughs> or no, no, like I'm in it. Like I'm going to go and I'm going to make some disciples. Yes, I can't keep this to myself. Nope. Which is the only proper response to the gospel. Right. And the receipt of the Holy Spirit. Goop. So, go therefore. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. I was going to try to make a tune, but then I think you did. Yeah, yeah. It was, <laughs> Don't sell yourself not, short. You did. It. it wasn't a very good tune. Well, be that as it may. <laughs> be that as it may. You did the job. Uh, um, hey, you guys, thanks for joining us. Indeed. Um, uh, I really highly encourage all of you, as you're considering your evangelical reality, to, to fire off some rockets. <laughs> yes. To do some rocketry. As an icon of the ascension. Exactly. To both tomorrow and Sunday, and I then think. S- and then stare blankly up at the sky at them. <laughs> and wait for angels to appear. Yes. Perfect. All right. Until then, God we'll bless. see you next week. The Word in the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.lankyguys.org. See you next week.